Apple Watch a watch a while back, and it um, it, it does something interesting. It tells me what my my resting heart rate is, uh, and I, I uh, before I coach a football game, and I'm on the sidelines, ready to coach. It's 140 <laughs> resting heart rate. You know, the only other time it gets that high is when I'm in church getting ready to preach. <laughs> I don't know about you. There's just a lot of excitement. I I got bubbled up inside, man. For I guess for football and for Bible. I guess that's, that's my things. Hey, just to reiterate, um, our 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 church plant over at Riverstone. Super excited about that. We can have that event today from three to six. You're welcome to join us. Shake some hands, meet some people, uh, and and kind of grease the skids a little bit. Invite them to come to church there next Sunday at ten thirty. Uh, love for you, uh, like I said, to get church two times next week. Maybe first service here and second service there, and be a part of that. Um, really excited about our team that we have in place that God's given us, and the expansion of this church into that site with a new uh, with a new site and new leadership is going to be really, really good. In this series, uh, songs we're singing. I, I just want to remind us that I, I want to draw this tension between those things that we have up here that may not be worth having up here uh, and things that, that maybe uh, are worth having up there that, that maybe aren't like they could be. Uh, and there's no doubt that some of these songs that we're playing on Sunday morning remind us of lyrics we maybe haven't heard in decades. But they stick, right? They stick. Uh, man, I, I tell you, I can still recite the, from the Bay City Rollers, uh, the song Saturday Night. Any old school, like disco 70s people, my gracious, that is not a song we're singing. Uh, but I'm just saying they stick with us, right? And, and maybe there's some Bible stuff that doesn't as much. And so I was going through the Psalms, all 150 chapters, and I thought, there's some stuff in here that's just good stuff. That, that we would be wise to, to get to stick. I want to help you understand, the, when you go to the book of Psalms, all 150 chapters, there's a spirituality in Psalms that we have to understand kind of where it originates from. The spirituality of Psalm, of all those, are shaped and defined and characterized by specific historical experiences of individuals and of God's people. They're not necessarily these great universal truths all the time necessarily, as is, as is the book of Galatians, deep doctrinal theological stuff, the book of Romans, deep doctrinal theological stuff. It's not historical necessarily like uh, the, the book of Acts or the Gospels are, those types of things. It, it, the, what's in the book of Psalms is, is the spirituality of it, the emotion of the statement is shaped by, by individuals' experience as they experience life and the injustices of life and the joys of life and their experience with God. And it's all through all that filter that they record this. Now, it's not strict doctrine, but there are in Psalms, obviously, great doctrine in them. And great universal principles and spiritual truths we can apply from their lives to ours. The book of Psalms, 150 chapters, just as a reminder, for those of you who have been with us for a while, it's divided into five smaller books. 150 chapters divided into five smaller books. Book one of Psalm is chapters 1 through 41. Book two of Psalms is books, uh, chapters 42 through 72. And that's kind of the section we're in now. 
Book two of Psalms mirrors the themes in the second book of the Old Testament, which is Exodus. And the themes of Exodus and the themes of book two of Psalm have to do with deliverance and liberation from slavery and God doing away with the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people and the enemies of God's purposes. And what we see in, in chapter 69, which is part of the second book of Psalms, where we'll be today, what we'll see is a psalm that's known as the imprecatory psalms. Everybody say imprecatory. imprecatory. Okay. What that means is this. The imprecatory psalms express hatred of and the desire for the destruction of the enemies of God. It's pretty heavy stuff. And there's many what is known as imprecatory psalms, and even imprecatory literature that's not in the book of Psalms. But they express this, 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 this hatred of and desire for the destruction of the enemies of God. Where God's people in Scripture actually pray for God's judgment and God's vengeance on the enemies of God. That's, that doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? I mean, just look at, we're not going to look at the whole psalm, Psalm, 130, uh, psalm 69, but I just want to, want, to, want to point out what I'm going to talk about here. Verse 22 and following. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. That, that's not kind. Right? Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. No family, no extended family. Just cut them off. <laughs> For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. How's that prayer for your enemies, huh? <laughs> That's... The problem with the imprecatory psalms is that that prayer seems contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. And it seems in complete opposition to what we know of Christian love. Doesn't it? And it seems completely void of any semblance of mercy and grace. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do you understand this stuff? And the writer from which it came. I just want to do a little bit of biblical interpretation 101 for us. The Old Testament and the New Testament together hold intention. The requirement to love and to love our enemies, and the hatred of evil and sin. It's held in tension in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The requirement to love your enemy comes from where? Anybody know? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, but I feel like it has something to do with Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to hedge my bet and go with Jesus. The requirement to love your enemy comes from Leviticus 19 and Proverbs 25. Way in the Old Testament, not the New. 
The New Testament holds people accountable for their deeds and their sin as subjects of God's wrath, Acts 17. And so both the Old Testament and the New Testament hold intention, both judgment and mercy. And both those judgment and mercy contain the fullness of God and his character. He is both just and merciful. And so we have to understand that these types of psalms and literature, these imprecatory ones, carry with it some profound biblical and theological truth and merit. And it's with this understanding that we can better understand the martyrs who have been killed for their faith, their cry and pray in heaven, as recorded in Revelation 16, for the vindication of God upon those who have taken their lives. And we can better understand Revelation 18 and 19 in the rejoicing of the saints over the judgment of the wicked. Because in both Old and New Testament, the Bible holds intention because the full character of God is justice and mercy. Now let me be clear. When we read statements like this in Psalm 69, if you were to read that whole chapter, nowhere is indiscriminate hatred right. It's always wrong. But when the writers of Scripture are crying out for justice and vindication, it's not due to their own personal injury. We have to understand this. It's not just because something posted something bad about them on Facebook. It's not just because someone treated them unfairly. The writers of Scripture are calling for God's move and hand to fall are those who have been almost intoxicated with the concern of God's character and God's name. And so when we get angry, it's, it, it, it's not because others sin against us as much as it's about people, evil people, who seek to destroy God's character and God's purpose and God's people. It's about him, not about us. When others sin against us, it is about mercy and grace. Do you understand? Because our concern, let this sink in, our concern is for God's name, not our own. Do you understand? Our concern is for God's reputation before our own. Our concern is for God's future not our own. And so into this context, we open Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, the first four verses, just follow along. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my, of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. And I'm forced to restore what I did not steal. Understand what he's saying. He's saying, I'm surrounded in deep waters. I have no foothold, yet my, I have dry mouth and my throat is dry. 
He's painting a picture of the contrast of despair that he's in. Have you ever been in that moment where it's not, like nothing makes sense and it's all contradicting and you just can't even figure out what's happening to what? This is where he is. And he says, I call out over and over and over, yet no help. Anyone? God, I've been praying and asking day after day, month after month, year after year, and nothing. And he says, people attack me without reason. Anyone? So people attack me without cause. I do nothing. He says, the enemies outnumber the hairs of my head. This is why I'm bald. <laughs> I don't want many enemies. Have you ever been attacked for no reason? Yes. Now, sometimes we're attacked for reason, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. But at other times, someone might think they have a reason. They're just wrong. Right? You've been there. See, here's the problem with people. Most people's perspective becomes their reality. So it doesn't matter what the truth is. And it doesn't matter what reality is. They get so grabbed onto their perspective of something that's happened, that perspective has become their reality. Whether it's true or not. And oftentimes, when that happens against us, they take it out on us, right? How many times have you been misunderstood and someone got upset? Anybody? How many times has someone not know the whole story, but knew part of the story and leveled the part of the story that they knew in a negative way against you? Anybody? And when that happens, it hurts, it's frustrating. You want to fight back, post back, talk back. But what's David's response? The writer of this, of this psalm. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Father, there's a lot of stuff going on that's against me right now. And I don't even think it's my fault. But please protect people from me. From my folly. And ultimately how I respond to them. The first things we do, according to Psalm 69, when people are charged against us, whether it's legit or not, is to admit our own foolishness to God. Because the truth is, regardless of what others have done against us, legit or not, we do foolish things. Right? I want to give you a picture of someone who constantly does foolish things. Everybody look to your right. <laughs> that person right there. Uh, no, 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 give me another picture. Everybody look to your left. 
That person right there. If you're by yourself and nobody's around you, just go look in the mirror. You'll probably find at least one person. Some of you might see multiple people. I don't know, but... So we ought not try to convince ourselves nor God that we're any better than a fool. Even the fools who do something against us. We have to realize that our guilt is not hidden from God. He knows. And so right from jump, we need to pray every day God's forgiveness. We get so bent out of shape about what is done to us we forget what we have done. Do you understand? Psalm 51 is a great passage to read as your own prayer for forgiveness. I pray it every day over me in the morning to start my day, and I pray it as the priest of my family, I pray it over my wife and my children every day. Because I know us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. God, I'm sorry. Do you understand? Psalm 69 is about the acknowledgement of the pain and injustice and offense of others. But in the follow-up of the acknowledgement of it, the psalmist asked God for forgiveness before any recompense or retribution. The psalmist says, God, there's some people who have messed me up. And what it does is reminds me of my mess ups with you. And I'm sorry. Do you understand? But it follows it up and it says, Father, protect them from being messed up by my mess ups. This changes our entire theology and practice of response of offense. Father, I realize what I've done to you. Forgive me. And please protect others from my mess-ups. Please don't allow how I respond to people who have hurt me to cause them to walk away from you. 
And this is what he's saying here is, Father, help me respond to people who have hurt me in a way that draws them to you, not chases them away from you. Imagine if that could be the thing. Imagine if God would allow those to hurt us so that in our response to their hurt would draw them to him rather than chase people away from him. That's biblical. Do you understand? <laughs> I, I feel about the, this message like I feel about some things in life, like when you go to the doctor and they say, you know what, you're doing okay. You could lose about 20, 30 pounds though. Like in theory, we know it's a good idea, but in practice, it's something different. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like when we're talking, look, you're doing okay, but you could use a little less sodium in your diet. Yeah, theoretically, I know that's a good idea, but in practice, really, I just don't. That's... So when others sin against us, I should focus first on my sin against God. That's where my brain should go first. And so what I'm learning is to keep very short accounts with God. And to realize my sin against him and seek forgiveness and repent first. And then to ask God to protect others from my sin. It is odd to me that regarding the big picture of things, Out of all the offense we cause, we cause God the most offense. And our offense to God is cost the most. It's called the crucifixion of Jesus. But what amazes me is that how I'm most bothered by other people's offenses against me more than I am my offenses against God. Do you understand? And the biggest struggle I have is not asking God to forgive me my sin because I like to be forgiven. The biggest struggle I have is letting go when others mess me up. That's my biggest struggle. If I put money on it, I would bet that's your biggest struggle too. And so how do we keep ourselves in a position of forgiveness? Do you want to know? The best way to get over an offense and to forgive others is to choose not to be offended. Amen. Remember, remember I said this like going to the doctor and say you need to lose 30 pounds. Like, yeah, I get it. Probably not going to do it. <laughs> the best way to get over and forgive someone, choose not to be offended. Does that make sense? Easy to do? Here's the thing. The offense is their action. Being offended is your choice. Amen. So choose not to be offended. Listen, none of us walk around thinking about others first all the time. None of us do. 
We all, I learned a long time ago, we all listen to the same radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? Our brains and our emotions are tuned into that radio station. When we, when we don't think we got what we should get, when others don't respond to us like we think they should respond to us, we become conditioned to be offended. Right? Right? Don't use your energy in the present to maintain the pain of their offense in the past. Don't use your energy in the present to maintain their offense that happened in your past. I want to share with you a little passage of scripture. And this is, this is, we're going to get, we're going to go through this one together here. When, when we can learn to forgive quickly and to not use the energy in our present to maintain an offense in the past, we forgive quickly, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength, and we start to live, John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life in its fullness not a life that's a tie to an offense. Matthew 15, look at this real quick. Just imagine how offended you'd be. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Legit concern. Jesus didn't answer a word. Maybe he's on his cell phone. Maybe he's checking some, I don't know, but heads down, not paying attention. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. They weren't crying out after their disciples. His disciples are idiots. I mean, sometimes, in the early days they were. They're so egocentric and, and, and high, think highly of themselves. They, they think that she's crying out after them. They could care, she'd care less about them. But you know when you're walking with a big guy, you walk big? Ridiculous. He answered, I was sent only to the lost tribe of Israel. Ooh. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, in our culture, you know how that would be spun? She's a woman and she's called a dog. No, I'm serious. How would our culture spin that? You know what he just said about her? Misunderstanding causes offense. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you got, girl, you got some faith. You're aggressive granted. Her daughter was healed that moment. And just stay with me. We're going to go through this real quick here. Here's when we get offended. We have to deal with the offense of being ignored. When you have to deal with offense of being ignored, that is tough for you to deal with. This is exactly what happened. 
This woman came. I got this issue. Only you can help. I'm coming to you asking. Just didn't answer a word. Did you ever touch someone who's doing this whole time? All you can see is the top of their head. How's that feel? You guys got some profound responses. It's offensive to be ignored, isn't it? And we feel that way. You ever been overlooked as if you didn't exist? Yeah. It's offensive. Please understand. Being ignored is an act of another. Being offended, it's your choice. It may hurt. And they may be mean. I'm not saying they're not. But it also can be about your insecurity more than their activity. See, we don't have to continue to live in the act of their offense by us staying offended. Does it make sense? Actual things people said to me or said about me to others that got back to me. No, I was offended because um, I saw them. I saw him, and he didn't say hi. Did you understand the sentence? I saw him, and he didn't say hi. You, you understand? Actual things have been said to me or about me that got to others that came back to me. I was driving down the road, and he didn't wave. Actual things. I had a procedure and I didn't tell anyone, but you never checked on me. Sometimes I love being a pastor. Actual things. I had a need, and I'm not part of any small group, but the fact is you didn't do anything for me. You know, I was at an event, and he didn't talk to me. <laughs> Sometimes, it's not necessarily about the activity. It's about the choice to be offended. Right? See, it's only by choosing not to carry their offense, can I forgive? You, if you carry the offense, you cannot forgive. Does that make sense? The only way to get to the place of forgiveness is to not be offended. And only then can I live in freedom, and only then, get this, can I live in the grace that I want to receive when I ignore and offend God. You know why else we get offended? Because of the offense of insignificance. Look at this poor gal. It's not right for me to... I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're, you're not one of them. You're not part of that group. I want, I'm not responsible for you. Huh. What? Doesn't that feel like... I mean, if you were her, wouldn't you... What, am I not important enough? Do I not matter enough? I'm offended. 
because I'm not part of that that you wouldn't. Right? Right? You know what it's like when people say things that seem insensitive and make you insignificant? As if you and your thoughts and your knees don't matter. You know what that feels like? Finish the sentence. Well, it's not what you said. It's the... Listen, we always have a choice to be offended or to not be offended. Since when has it become normative to give other people so much control over us? We live in a time when it is in vogue to be offended. And we live in a culture that holds captive anybody who is offensive. I got news for you. We're all offensive. Don't be offended. Some of you are like, I'm offended that you're talking so brashly to us like that. I'm offended that you're, like your attitude. I can just feel it. I'm sorry, don't be offended. Long past are the times when there were people who would choose not to be offended by offensive people. That's the forgotten way. We're so fragile now that we cannot contend any longer with those who are insensitive and treat us as insignificant. And so what ends up happening is we end up living offended, hurt, upset lives. Offended by everything and everyone. And so far removed for the abundant life that God provided for us in the liberation of the life of his son. Especially for Christ followers. We have too much in front of us to allow the things behind us to keep us incarcerated by the offense of another. There's too much in front of us to allow those things behind us to keep us tied to and shackled by the offense of someone else days, months, and years ago. Here's how I want to say it. I have too much destiny to live in the history of your offense. I'll tell you this much. I went through it last Thursday, a week and a couple days ago, by someone that I've spent years with at bedsides with, ministering to family with, who came at me with all kinds of ridiculous stuff, but it was their perspective which became their reality. And I left that altercation, and I wanted to come back for more. (laughs) I went home and pet my dogs and calmed down, And then that part of me that is still unsanctified raised up again. And I went looking for more. And by the grace of God, didn't find it. And it was in that moment that these words, Carl, you've got too much destiny to live in the history of his offense. Don't waste your energy 
in the present, maintaining the offense of the past. You understand? I told my wife about that last night, and that was the end of it. I understand why people who are not Christ followers live in the presence of offense, who get their feelings hurt, carry grudges, who are always offended by others. I understand why non-Christ followers live that way because the moment, the present moment, is the only history, is the only destiny they have. All they have is right now. But Christ followers have more than the present. We got a destiny and an audience of one. So we don't live in the history of an offense. I tell you, it is, it, it feels offensive when we're ignored and treated as insignificant. But there's also this thing of in, when people are inconsiderate. And we have to deal with the offense when others are inconsiderate. And Jesus presses this woman. I need your help. So it's not right for me to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It just seems inconsiderate. Right? If any of you ask to meet with me, and I said, it's not right for me to say, I don't have time for you. You're from Chowchilla? No. And this is, what I, this is what I love. Like people from Chowchilla, get, they're not offended that I make fun of them. They're tough. They can handle it. You're all right. You're all right. You keep coming back to church, you're tough, you get this. You're stronger and more spiritual than we are in the ranchos. It's all right, you're from Chowchilla. But no, 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 no. There's two words for dogs used in the Bible here. One of them means mongrel and one of them means pet. And the one Jesus uses is the pet. He's not calling her a mongrel. He's not calling her dirty. He's saying you're just not a child. See, the Jews were called the children of God. The Gentiles were called the, the puppies of God. And you might like your puppy, but it's still not a child, right? I'll do a lot for my dog, but not near as much I'll do for my kid. And so she still, it still feels inconsiderate, doesn't it? But I love it about this gal. She's not offended. She's not offended by it. See, when I expect you to do a certain thing and you have the opportunity and the power to do it, but you do something opposite of that, it appears to me as if you're inconsiderate of my needs and my wants and my, right? And when I feel like you're being inconsiderate, I have two choices. I can be offended and live in that offense and spend my energy maintaining that, or I could just choose not to be offended. Where is there more liberation? And I'll be offended. I love the fact that this lady did not let the offense keep her. Like, she didn't let the feeling of being offended make her offensive. And, and, and this is what we got to get to. Like, we can't, we can't let someone else's offense make us offensive. Does that make sense? And so she presses. She said, yeah, it is right. Because we even get some crumbs. And he said, woman, you got great faith. You're a crusty grand. And her daughter was healed that very moment. 
See, here, here's, here's what I know. If she walked away offended, she would have missed her miracle. Amen. You understand? If she'd have walked away offended, she'd have missed out on what God was in the, in, in the work of doing. And that happens not us, just between us and God. When we expect God and we want God and we ask God and we pray to God to do something and time after time after time, it appears as if he doesn't. If we walk away offended from him, we walk away from a miracle. And the same thing that happens with me and you. When you're offensive to me or I'm offensive to you and you hold my offense and I hold your offense and we walk away from each other, we miss the opportunity for God to step in there and do a miracle. Do you understand? I wonder how many of us have gotten upset and in our upsetness and being offended, we went ahead and posted why we're not going back to Jesus' church. I wonder how many of us have been upset and gotten offended and told other people in our huddle how offended we are, hoping for nothing else, that they will affirm our offense. Right? Because I don't have the emotional energy to maintain this offense, so I need your emotional energy to help me maintain this offense. And as long as I maintain the offense, I refuse to forgive. And as long as I maintain the offense, I sacrifice the abundant life that God created for me in the death and resurrection of his son. Don't be offended. I wonder... How often do we live in the offense of the past and forfeit our future? I wonder how much time we spend wasting the energy of our present, maintaining the offenses of the past. I wonder how much we feed other people's offenses because people are offensive. Then you feed it so it grows and never dies. And all the while we do that, I wonder if all the while Jesus is thinking, have you forgotten your offenses against me? You don't have the right to be offended. It brings us all the way back to Psalm 69. Where in honesty we say, Father, there are very mean people who have done mean things and it does hurt and some of it has been unjust and I'm not going to make excuses for it I'm going to call it like it is and it's bad but what I'm reminded of for, for mostly is my offense to you and I'm sorry protect them those who are offensive from my responses to their offense that my responses was bring them to you and not chase them away. Do you understand? And so we pray. God, I admit my foolishness and you know my guilt. Please forgive me. Father, let others who are trying to follow you not be ashamed because of my sin and protect others from me when I feel offended. 
And Father, forgive me and help me forgive others and help me not carry offenses. I don't want to miss your miracle. God, I pray over me and I pray over this church that when we are offended, we would respond in a way, not in kind, but in a way that draws people to you. Oh my goodness, God, would that be a miracle. God, would you give us a vision of what could happen of the change through the change in us that when offended, we respond to the offense and the one who's been offensive in such a profound way that it makes them fall in love with you rather than fight with us. Oh, God, we need forgiveness first. You've been so good to us. Forgive us how we've not gifted that to another in your name amen